All right, so yeah, talking about stewardship this month. It's probably why there's not many people here this morning. Saw this one coming. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I've told this story before. Some of you may have heard it. But there was this Christian kid at the movie theater I worked at when I was in high school. And he was talking about how he gave 10% of his check to his church. I was furious. It's like, don't you know that's all churches want? It's money? They're all con men, crooked. Stop listening to your parents. Think for yourself. Ah, just mad, stark raven mad. That kind of stuff really upset me. I hated that kind of thing. But what I realize now is that he understood the way things are way better than I did. And he had faithful parents that taught him from an early age that he is not his own. And neither is anything that he has. He knew what he knew and I didn't as an unbeliever. Is that whatever he had was a gift from God. And he didn't take it for granted. He understood it as, as a responsibility. That young man had an early advantage that I didn't have. I spent my 20s and the early part of my 30s trying to understand the science of achievement. And what this 16-year-old boy already had, what he had learned, was the art of contentment. About this time every year, we've talked about stewardship and tithing. We talk about money because the Bible talks about money. It talks about it a lot, as a matter of fact. It, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not supposed to be unimportant to us. Money's not supposed to be unimportant to us. We're just supposed to know what he expects us to do with it. How to be good stewards of it. Stewardship isn't just limited to money. I think we've said that before. It has to do with devoting our time and our talents to worthy endeavors and working in whatever we do as unto the Lord, right? As parents, we're even stewarding the gift of children, recognizing that they've been given to us for his purposes, and so we have a responsibility toward God and how we raise them. Stewardship is a broader topic, but the aspect of stewardship we're talking about specifically this morning is money. Because money can be a, a, a cruel taskmaster. If we're not careful, it can have a tighter grip on us than we think. But money's not supposed to rule over God's people, right? Money's not supposed to rule over God's people. We're supposed to rule over it. God's people are supposed to rule over it. He's put you in charge of it. He's entrusted his property to you. That's stewardship. So we'll look at several texts this morning, but the main one will be from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read that now. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we do come to you this morning acknowledging that it is you that we receive every good gift from, that if it were not for you, we would have nothing. And so, Lord, help us as we try to understand this principle in your word this morning. Help me clearly to, to communicate this to your people. Move me out of the way, Lord, and make your message clear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main idea I want to get across this morning is this. Tithing is a command of God for our good. Plain and simple. 
Tithing is a command of God for our good. And so we'll look at three points. What is tithing? Why tithe? And how to tithe. Okay? What is tithing? Why tithe? How to tithe? So first, when we talk about what is tithing, we can look quickly at Leviticus chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 30 through 33. If you want to flip there with me, you can. We're going to do a little bit of flipping around this morning. All right, I can't wait on you the whole time, but if you want to flip with me, go to Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 33. It says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Tithe, simply put, means tenth. Ten percent. So what is tithing? It's ten percent of this, ten percent of that is holy. It's set apart to the Lord. It's tithing of our resources which are valuable to us. I know, I know John is, but the rest of us probably aren't, like farming crops and herding animals. And, and so our resources are the money that we earn, right? That's, that's it. Like, we don't have the other stuff to tithe. God used the tithes of his people. He used them to care for those who ministered to his people and to care for the people that they ministered to. And because God's people are not localized to one geographic region anymore, and we're not primarily an agricultural society anymore, we're not storing up barns and silos with food in case of famine. We're not bringing a tenth of our animals and a tenth of our harvests and herbs and so on and so forth, but we're not bringing nothing. We're still bringing a tenth of what the Lord has blessed us with as an offering to him. So tithing is a tenth, that's what it means. And it's not just charitable giving. It's, it's different. It's not just charitable giving. It's an acknowledgement of God's lordship over us and a recognition of our obligation to faithfully steward what he has entrusted to us and a demonstration of our faith in him to supply us with whatever is needful to us. So that's what the tithe is. Second point, why tithe? Now, here's two little sort of sub-points for you, and it's basically just breaking down that main idea for you, okay? Uh, tithing is a, a command of God for our good. So the first little sub-point under why tithe is God commands it, right? We pray all the time that God would move, don't we? That he would move in our lives and our circumstances, and then we stand still. You ever do that? We pray that God would move mightily in our lives, and then we stand still. God says, start doing what I told you to do. Then we'll talk. He, that's not how he works in salvation. Okay? People always trip out when you start talking about obedience in the Bible and say, well, I, God doesn't require my obedience to save me. That is 100% true. Don't believe anybody who tells you different. God does not require your obedience to save you. But how about bless you? Aren't there blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience? Isn't that true? I'll ask those here this morning who I know probably understand this principle better than any of us. 
Children, are you still listening? Listen to me, children. Are there blessings for obedience at home? Are there curses for disobedience at home? Do your parents bless you for your obedience? Are they pleased with that? Do you find that they're displeased when you disobey and are there consequences for disobedience? But even when there's consequences, you don't get kicked out of the home, do you? They don't give you away. They're still your mommy and daddy. You're still their children, right? I rest my case. God promises blessing when we do as he commands. Which leads me to the second point I want to make, which answers the question, why tithe? God commands it, but it's also good for us. It's good for us. Let me read you Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Flip there if you want. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I want to open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Looking at those six verses there, the Lord doesn't change. He's always faithful. His people aren't. They haven't done as he's commanded. And here he says that they are robbing him in their tithes and in their contributions and they're cursed because of it. But then what does he say? Put me to the test. See if I will open up the doors of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there's no more need. So much so, I will bless you so richly that people all around will be able to look at you and say, wow, how blessed they are. So why should they tithe? Because God commands it, and it'll be good for them. It'll be good for them. And looking back at the proverb we read earlier, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God intends blessing for you when you trust him with what you think you need most. Because in doing so, in giving him a tenth of what you know you need most, he reminds you it's him that you need most. This practice and habit and commitment to tithing regularly serves as a constant reminder to us of our reliance upon God. And that's a good thing. And practically speaking, it automatically sort of helps us order our finances by making us think in terms of investment and budgeting rather than merely spending until there's nothing left. And then just waiting until more shows up. It's good for us. It reminds us of our reliance upon God. It forces us to be more mindful in how we use what he's given us generally. And God promises blessing for it. That's not prosperity gospel, 
right? That's just the promises of God. I see that the health, wealth, and prosperity folks, they like to use God as a slot machine in some cosmic casino. That's the difference. Because their treasures, what they really desire, are worldly things, and they see God as a means of obtaining what their hearts truly desire. That's different, isn't it? Jesus talks about that, too, in the Gospels. We'll, we'll get to it as we continue through the series on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about that, laying up treasures in heaven. You remember that? You can't serve God in money. He says that. We can't get into it now. That's a few weeks away. But here, here's a point I want to get across to you. Jesus is supposed to be your treasure. I'm giving this to you now. You'll hear it again in a few weeks. Jesus is supposed to be your treasure, not the source of your treasure, not your means to it. Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. That reality and your understanding of it is what makes him your treasure. We're reminding ourselves of that over and over again, week after week, as we come and lay at his feet what is precious to us, because it is a declaration that there is nothing more precious to us than him. So it's good for us, this practice of tithing. God commands it, but it's good for us. Now let me address a few objections some folks have before we move on to how to tithe in our last point, okay? Because, you know, some people will say, and you read articles on this, Tithing was only an Old Testament thing. Christians don't do that. They'll take a text like 2 Corinthians verse 9, um, or chapter 9. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And they say, there it is, that seals it. Let me ask you something. If you're given 10% of your money reluctantly, or under compulsion, is that a you problem or a God problem? Is there something oppressive about the giving that God commands? Or is there something deficient in your attitude toward what God has commanded? Which one is it really? Someone might say, well, Jesus didn't command people to tithe. Well, he didn't command them not to. And he said, those of you that have been here as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, he said he didn't come to abolish but to fulfill. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus sort of touches lightly on this tithing thing with the Pharisees. Indirectly, it's not directly what's in view, but you know, he's talking with the, the Pharisees and he doesn't rebuke them for the tithing. He's basically saying, you know, you're over here doing tithing all this stuff, but you're missing out on all these other things. Well, he doesn't say that the tithing was wrong. He, did, he says, you got it right over there. But what they're doing is they're lowering the bar again. They're ignoring the heart stuff. They're not concerned with justice and mercy and faithfulness. They're just checking boxes and lowering the bar. Classic Pharisees, right? So it's not that the tithe has been overturned or that it isn't necessary. It's that you can't pay off God for your unrighteousness. That's Jesus' point in that passage. Many Christians agree we're supposed to give cheerfully and to be generous, yes, but then they say, we, we, we don't have to tithe. Just be generous. Well, what is, what is generous? What is this generous you speak of? Generous compared to what? 
By what standard? Whatever makes me feel generous? If I put a penny in that plate, does that count? As long as I feel good about it? I mean, you can shake your head up or down, whichever. Does that count, the penny in the plate? I see a lot of heads going, ah, no, I don't know, that doesn't seem right. No. Okay. Well, where do we draw the line? As usual, we don't. God does. Generosity is measurable. It's 10%, at least 10%. 10% of a little is still 10%, and God says that's generous. Anything more than that is even more generous, and we're encouraged to do that too. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So here's a bit of good news. God does not favor the rich. He favors the faithful. He favors the faithful. That's why the widow's might was so outstanding. You remember that story? We read in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So it's not about the amount. It's about the amount in relation to what you have. It's about how much it's worth to you that communicates how much God is worth to you. Do you see? It's wise and most loving of God that he uses a percentage and not a fixed amount as the standard of generosity, isn't it? I mean, it's a good thing you say 5,000 a month, right? I think that'd be bad news for a lot of us, wouldn't it? That, that would be oppressive. But he doesn't ask for more than you've been given. He asks for 10% of what you have been given, however little or however much that is. You know, as fallen people, we're always flirting with the danger of bare minimums, you know? That talk of, well, that was Old Testament, we're New Testament, generally doesn't come from a desire to be obedient to God, but a desire to find the bare minimum of obedience, A new and better covenant with new and better promises seems like one where we wouldn't ask if 10% is too much. Seems like one where we would ask, is that enough? Can you cheerfully give $10 a week when you made 1000 that week? Is that what Paul intended when he talks about a cheerful giver? Can someone excuse themselves by saying, well, my heart was in the right place? Was it though? I don't know if you've noticed, but as you read through Paul's epistles, he, he doesn't seem to be overly concerned with how we feel on the inside, does he? You've read through the epistles? Paul's not generally encouraging us to do what makes us feel happy in our hearts. He's not talking about being cheerful about what you give. He's talking about giving something that represents and flows out of your cheerfulness and delight in God and your recognition of what he's done for you. 
How much cheerfulness is there in a redeemed person? How much delight? Paul wants us to know the love of God and the lengths that he's gone to redeem us. And from that awareness, as an expression of our gratitude, to give cheerfully. When you tithe from the heart, you honor God. You say, you are worthy, God, of my time, of my gifts, of my gifts, of my, uh, my, my abilities, of whatever finances you choose to put into my hands. I cannot think of a better place, a more worthy place, to put my money. And the Lord then does indeed love a cheerful giver when that heart motivation is behind it. All right, so now let's talk about how to tithe. It's really simple. You heard me talking with the children about it. But it's first fruits. First fruits, right? Carry that home. Like, write that down somewhere. First fruits. You want to know how to tithe? First fruits. That's used 22 times in the book of Proverbs. And all it means is off the top before anything else. Before Uncle Sam gets his. You know, before Dominion Energy gets theirs. Before Netflix and Verizon gets theirs. First fruits. Not 10% of what's left over. Plan this way. Plan what you're going to give away rather than giving what is left. That's how you tithe. You give it some thought. You give it some consideration. That's how it ends up not being a, a burden to you, but a joy. Rather than being like, well, I, you know, I'm running out of money. Well, this will force you to think about where all that money is going to go in the first place from the moment that you receive it. This practice will force you to consider what you've been given and being disciplined with where it goes. It'll make you take a closer look at your finances, which will make you a better steward overall of the resources God has given you. Because you won't just keep spending until that account hits zero, right? You'll actually have to think about where your money goes and exercise control over it. You'll be making your money work for you rather than you working for it. You might say, it all sounds well and good. You got me. I'm persuaded. I should be tithing and I'm not. But I can tell you right now, I can't afford to give 10%. That may be where you are right now. And I don't know your exact situation, but I've known mine in the better part of two decades as a Christian. And usually what people mean when they say, I can't afford to give 10%, is I can't afford to give 10% without burdening myself. And that may be you, but as I said, I don't know your exact situation. But what I would say is what we need to look at is the degree of your burden. Is it luxury or necessity? And to extend a, a welcome to you, like, if you're in financial crisis, y'all, we don't want you to be there. That's, that's not where we want you to be here at King's Church. I know it's easy to sort of keep that kind of thing private, but let us help you with that. And if there's a real burden there, Robert Kiesler, one of our elders, is an accountant by trade and, and has received vigorous training in, in, in how to help people manage their money and to get out of debt. And I'm sure he would be more than happy to sit with you and help you figure out a way forward, how to clear a path through some of those difficult financial things. I would ask you to t take advantage of that if you find yourself in that situation. The last thing I'll say about how to tithe is to teach your children early. 
Teach your children early so that they never get to a point in their lives where their money's out of control and they cannot afford to obey God. Teach them with whatever allowance they get or whatever birthday money they got from grandma, 10% off the top and more if they want. Teach them the standard of generosity. Teach them faithfulness to God with their resources. And teach them money management stuff generally, you know, early on, before you think they need it. How to think about that $20 bill they just got. You know? Little Johnny? Little Jenny? God has given you this $20 bill. Praise God, that's exciting. What are you going to do with it? How do you want to use it? You know, the first thing you need to do is to be able to give 10% back to God, and then you have all this left to choose to do with it as you wish. How will you use that to spend or save for God's glory? Get them excited about how they think about that, to exercise control over it rather than it always just picking at them. And like that 16-year-old boy I worked with at the movie theater all those years ago that I thought was so strange, you will have taught your children to be disciplined with money from a young age and how to be content with what God has chosen to give them. And they'll carry that with them, and they just might, by God's grace, avoid some of the difficulties, unwise spending, that a lot of us have experienced. Praise God for that. You know, that in the next generation, by, by, by sharing these principles with our children, we, we could get to a place where this isn't a conversation. We don't need a stewardship month. It's built in. It's assumed. What do we need a sermon on tithing for? We've got to talk about the stuff we don't get right. Praise God for his faithfulness through generations. Praise God for his word, for his promises. May we be encouraged to, to believe those promises enough to give it a shot, yeah? So there it is, tithing, the awkward conversation about money that nobody wants to hear, but really shouldn't be awkward at all. Shouldn't be awkward. God commands tithing for our good. I don't know what we get so worked up about. Maybe it shows us what we value most. Maybe that's why we get worked up. But God says, test me in this. Go on. I dare you. See what happens. Try me. Right? But remember, we don't give in order to get. He's not, the, he's not the cosmic genie. He's not the slot machine. Okay? We don't give in order to get. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, honor me with your wealth and see if I don't blow your mind. I'm big enough to do it. God isn't telling you to do it and then just leaving it as, at, because I said so. He's a good father, isn't he? He doesn't just leave it at because I said so. God blesses obedient tithing. He just does. And y'all, don't believe me? Ask around. There are people in this room right now that can testify to that fact. Ask around. Tithing is a demonstration of trust, an exclamation of our joy over our salvation and an act of obedience that results in blessing for us. That's what tithing is and why we should do it.
So let's not be hesitant to honor God with our wealth or be tempted to obey him reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully give at least a tenth of all we have received, hoping and praying that he would increase it so that we could give even more. Let's pray. Lord God, may we always avail ourselves to your instruction and hold nothing in our hands we wouldn't freely give you if you asked it of us. You are our portion and our delight. We thank you for your provision for us, for your protection of us, and for your promises to us. Help us always to believe them and teach others to do the same, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.